Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Have you noticed it's a bit icy this morning? I think it's really cold. And so I consider you heroes of the faith. Before we open scripture and comment on it this morning, I'd just like to mention something very quickly. Some years ago, I wrote this book, and last year, under loving pressure, I had it reprinted, and I've still got some. So there are a number near the door there, and if you want to take one or more, then there's no charge. If you bought it in a shop, it would be $26.95. But if you want to leave a donation, that's great. But you see, you, I'm a, I'd be a terrible businessman, you know, wouldn't I? You know, because it's a ministry, it's not a business. So if you want to take one or more, <coughs> so in fact, you're, that's your Christmas shopping fixed. But basically, very quickly, it's an explanation of and an application of the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. So that's another ministry that we seek to perform in making it available. For some years now, I've been an admirer of a Jesuit priest by the name of Greg Boyle. Greg works in Los Angeles, and he works among the street gangs of South Los Angeles, and the last I heard, he had officiated at the funeral of 230 people whom he knew who had been shot in the streets of Los Angeles. In one of his books, he tells the story of a particular homie who was walking along the road, went in front of a church and crossed himself. And there was a lady there and she was selling something and she said to this homie, what you doing? He said, well, I'm wanting protection. She said, that's really strange. She said, because we're terrorized by you, and everybody here is praying God that he would protect us from you. That changed his life. Hung up his gun, hung up his gloves, and changed his life. One sentence, just a few words, changed his life. Such is the power of the tongue. The Bible says, and the reference is Proverbs 18 and 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and that's your tongue and mine. And it means this, that you can demoralize people and you can encourage people by the way that you speak to them. Such is the power of the tongue. Do you, Some of you will remember the Second World War, and there were two great orators and these orators shook the world. One was Winston Churchill. We shall fight on the beaches, and so on. And the other was Hitler. Two great orators, one encouraging, and the other bringing death. Such is the power of the tongue. Now, my assigned subject this morning was Faith Speaks. And as you know, during this series, we're talking about the impact that faith has upon the way that we live. And now James is talking about the impact that what we believe has upon how we speak. 
what we speak about and how we pronounce those things, how we speak those things. Last week, Luke treated, and I think treated very well, the subject of how do you understand chapter 2 when you find that St. James is talking about faith and works. How do they work together? And a lot of people over many years have debated it, but as I was thinking about it, there came to mind something that I always actually connect with it, and it's the statement of Paul. Paul is speaking to Agrippa, and this is what he says. I preach first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and through all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God. No trouble with that. And prove that they have changed by the good things that they do. So Paul is saying, if you're truly saved, your life will be different. And if you're truly born again, the way you speak will be different. The things you talk about and how you actually speak about them. Now, in James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, which is my allotted passage, you actually find that basically it's a warning. It's saying how to use the tongue or, more specifically, how not to use the tongue, that is, the power of speech. And I want to make, if time allows, three points. And the first is this. In verses 1 and 2, he says, don't rush in, be careful. And I'm using this morning the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you shall become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control the tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. In other words, don't rush in. Now, I haven't been able to attend, I've listened to most of the messages given this series, but I've been involved in Hamilton last month, and you may have been told that the epistle of James is very early you actually find that he's writing and he says, if someone comes into your, literally, into your synagogue, now that's a meeting place of the Jews. And so it was that very early period of time when Christianity and Judaism were very closely linked and eventually became more and more separated. But in the early church, they called it the synagogue. This is a synagogue. We wouldn't call it that very early. Now, it also doesn't look like an epistle. Apart from the introduction, verses, verse 1 of chapter 1, it actually looks like a sermon. And a lot of people say, well, that's what it was. It's a Christianized sermon. The name of Jesus is mentioned three times, inserted. But otherwise, it's a sermon. I mean, we don't know. But it was certainly very, very early in the piece. And here, James says, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Now, he's not setting up some kind of clergy. Now, I'll just make a little explanation. And I know that we have the privilege of a number of people coming into this church for the very first time. Now, this church is not better than any other church. But we do have different ideas, and some of the distinctives are invisible. For example, you may have noticed that we have various preachers. And that's because we don't have a clergy. No one is ordained. The invisible, one of the invisible distinctions of this church and 31,000 around the world, I would say, is that 
we seek to recognize spiritual gifting irrespective of training. Now, if you have training, that's good. It is to be commended and encouraged. Brenda and I were commissioned, or as we traditionally would say, commended to full-time Christian ministry 55 years ago, but I'm still just Brian Goodwin. I'm not a reverend. I don't have a title, and that's the way I like it, because, you see, that's invisible. That's just how it is. It has a lot of advantages, which I'm not going into, but one disadvantage can be this. We can rush in to be preachers. And here James is saying, don't rush in to be preachers because in the church, early church, you found a variety of preachers. And so he says, don't do that because you see, those of us who teach in the church are liable to greater judgment. And that's how it ought to be. It is a tremendous privilege and for many years it's been my privilege. I began, very first time I preached, I was 16 and from about 18, it was almost every Sunday, just how it was in those days. And it's a tremendous privilege, but I also know it's a tremendous responsibility for anybody who's teaching the Word of God in any capacity. And so James says, don't rush in, but be very, very careful because you have to give account for what you teach. And so anyone who has a teaching opportunity and privilege, it is a privilege, must always be sure that what they teach is the truth and what they teach is relevant to life. First point then, very quickly. The second point is, don't create havoc, but be kind. And here you find the writer says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set the whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Now, they're strong words, aren't they? I'm not a sociologist, but it's my impression that we're living in a culture that increasingly uses swearing and cursing. Have you noticed that? Turn on the telly, you hear it. Turn on the radio, you hear it. Read an article, you, re you hear it. And it seems to me that there was a time when people were more moderate, and especially if there was a woman in the midst, the men would turn it off like that. But it seems that swearing... Cursing has become part and increasingly a part of our culture. I had the privilege of being brought up in a, I had a privileged upbringing. I don't mean by money. We didn't have hot running water until I was 14 and my parents were allotted a state house in Palmerston North and then we had hot running water. You know, so not privileged in that way, but privileged in this way. It was a non-violent and a non-swearing household. I never heard my parents swear. I never heard my brothers swear. And the two seem to go together, don't they? Violence and swearing. It wasn't always that way. Before my parents were converted, they were swearers. So I understand. I was only four, so I don't remember it. But 
we boys, and it was a family of boys, and we would really annoy our parents, and then they'd be swearing all over the place. But when my parents came to Christ, it stopped. And I can remember even my mother debating with us, whether it's appropriate for a Christian to use words like bother. You know, I mean, we'd really, they had really changed. But it's true. This is what James says. If you believe in Christ, the pure spoken one, if you believe in Jesus, the word of God, then your language will be pure and your language will be moderated and your language will be disciplined because, you see, faith speaks. And so as I was thinking about the subject, as I was developing the subject during the week, I was wondering about why is it that people get into the habit of swearing? And sometimes it is a habit. I'm named after my uncle, and he swore in every sentence. And it was just a habit. It meant nothing to him. But sometimes it's to emphasize a point. You know, people do that. And sometimes it's to impress, and sometimes an expression of anger. But it seems to me that very often it's a matter of trying to intimidate the other person. I have here a paragraph from a book that I picked up from the local library. It's written by Billy Graham, not the preacher, but the boxer. Billy Graham was saved through a rally in Nainai. His brother Chris lives in TA and is setting up a boxing academy like Billy Graham has in Nainai in Wellington. And this is a um, paragraph that I thought was interesting. Well, it was a lot interesting, but relevant. He says there's no swearing in the gym. So he has this gym set up for disadvantaged boys, teaching them boxing. Somehow that's going to make them less violent. But anyway, there's no swearing in this gym. If you want to know why there's no swearing in the gym, it's because I grew up with bad language and it's just a form of intimidation. Nobody walks up to you and says, excuse me, golly gosh, I'd like to preach you in the nose, sir. It's always filthy language, and then comes the punch-up. I know that's true, because when I was a kid growing up, I had a terrible mouth on me. People just thought I was a rat. I'd swear at them or hoik on them from anywhere. We've kicked one boy out for swearing. After four weeks, he was outside, and some other boys said, Max outside, and he's crying. I went out to have a talk with him. What's the matter? I want to come back. He was totally sincere and wanting to do the right thing. What he said next had my stomach hurt from holding the laughter in. I like the gym, but I just can't stop expletive swearing. I grabbed him in a headlock so he couldn't see my face, and I said, look, mate, I had a mouth like a septic tank when I was your age. One of the hardest things to do is to stop swearing. But if you stop swearing only at the gym, you'll never stop. You've got to stop swearing at school. Stop swearing at home and stop using it to describe things. And when I read it, I thought, mm, I think that's true. And that's why I mean what I meant when I said that I've had a privileged upbringing. There was no swearing and there was no violence in the home. And I know that many here have had that same privileged upbringing. Now, when we go to Scripture, we find also that our Lord Jesus was a man of pure speech, of course. And you have this verse... In 1 Peter chapter 2, and it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. 
He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned or ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hand of God, who always judges fairly. Do you remember when Judas Iscariot was in the very act of betraying his Lord and Master as he kissed Jesus with that betrayer's kiss? Jesus addressed him as friend. That's our Lord. We have another verse which comes from the lips of our Lord, and you actually find it in Matthew chapter 12. And he says, You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Peter is embarrassed about 30 years before he actually writes his epistle. And he's being interrogated by a couple of women and a man. And before long, he betrays his Lord and he denies his Lord with oaths and curses. And that is the language that he'd learned on the seas of Galilee. He could swear like a trooper. And he did. But there was something else about Peter, and that is he came from Galilee. He didn't come from Judea. That is, he came from the north of Israel, not from the south. And they had a different accent. And when he spoke the girl said, your speech betrays you, and so it does. The way you speak indicates the kind of woman or the kind of man that you are. In saying that, I have no sense of superiority, but I've had that privilege of not being brought up in a swearing household. Some years ago, we had an awning attached to our house, and it just goes over the patio, and the time came for it to be fixed, and there were two tradesmen came along, and they were attaching the awning. And I thought, there's something different about this couple. They said, please, and they said, thank you, and they didn't swear. They were just polite in the way that they talked to each other. And so at Smoko, I broached the subject, and I found that they both belonged to a church. And one of them was Ben Vivian. You know, the way you speak very quickly conveys the kind of person that you are. That's just the reality, isn't it? And you will find that sometimes when you go into a new situation, the very fact that you don't swear, you don't talk lewd things, and you actually speak wholesome speech, before long they say there's something different about her, there's something different about him, because you see our speech betrays us. Now, James is saying small things have great events. For example, he says a bit can govern a horse, a rudder can govern a ship, a spark can set a forest fire alight. And in verse 6, the writer says, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body, it, is, it set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by itself. Now, this sounds very strong, doesn't it? And it, does, it is poetic. One of the interesting things is that James, of course, was a half-brother of Jesus. 
He was a brother of Jude. And no doubt they had got this kind of poetic trait from their mother Mary. Remember the Magnificat? My soul does magnify the Lord. And so Mary had that poetic trait in her. And so did Jesus. Behold the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I tell you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then you get Jude and he talks about these flaming fires and the stars and all that kind of thing. And James also has a poetic tongue. Now, your tongue is not literally a flame of fire. Otherwise, I wouldn't want to talk to you because it would be very, very dangerous. I'd get scorched and you wouldn't talk to me. So obviously, we know what it means. It's hyperbole. It's a metaphor. And it's saying, it's just like that. It's so strong. Your tongue, your power of speech is so strong, it can strongly affect other people. It's not literally a flame of fire, but it can have a tremendous impact for bad. It can harm people. It can affect them. And the way we talk may turn them off church and Jesus forever. Such is the power of speech. A couple of references from the scriptures. And you have Paul, who says to his young protege, Timothy, don't let anyone think of you, less of you, because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and how you say it. And Peter, he'd learned, I mean, he'd learned the hard way. Remember, this is a man who 30 years before had denied his Lord with oaths and curses. And he says, the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Third point, quick. Don't despise others, but be respectful. And he says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless and it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? No. Does a fig tree produce olives? No. Or a fig tree produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Old habits die hard. And so James says, no one can tame the tongue, and that's true, not completely, but we can try. And here are a few things that I'd just like to go through very quickly. Set a standard for yourself. What kind of tongue do you want to have? What kind of language do you want to have? Do you want to honor God by the way you speak or bring dishonor on his name? I mean, set a standard. Sometimes apologize. I could tell you stories about all this, but I can, I'm conscious of the time. Make yourself accountable somehow to someone. Oh, I won't expand on that. Slow down your reaction. Richard talked about that, James 1.19. Speak kindly and respect God's image in others. And so James envisages a situation 
of a person praising our Lord and Father and also cursing those who be made in the image of God. Everybody that you meet is made in the image of God. And that means respect. There's Peter. And there he says, respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters because you see everyone, everybody at work, everybody in your family, everybody in the shop, everybody in the restaurant, everybody is worthy of respect. And there is a statement by C.S. Lewis. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal because everyone you've ever talked to is made in the image of God. I finalize my comments with a true story. Daniel was a very muscular, strong man, and his work was working in a gym. He lived in Brazil, in the southern city of Porto Alegre. And he dreamed of having a, his own gym and running his own business. So he arranged a mortgage, a loan, from the bank, and he had his brother co-sign the mortgage. And when it was processed, he got a phone call, or at the place that he worked, got a phone call saying that the loan had been approved and he could come and pick it up. So at the end of work, he went to the gym and he was going to pick up the check. And the bank manager was surprised. He said, but your brother came in and he picked up the check and he retired the mortgage on his house. Now you can imagine that Daniel was absolutely livid with rage and he went round to his brother's place. His brother came to the door, but he was holding a baby, and a Brazilian would never damage, willfully damage a baby. And so Daniel said, when I see you again, I'm just going to knock your block off. A few months later, Daniel met an American missionary by the name of Alan Dutta. Alan Dutta taught him about the ways of God, and Daniel came to the Lord and did his wife. But he found this seething within him, this anger within him towards his brother who had caused him to lose the ability of a new job or, a, or his own gym. They knew that they would meet up sometime, and so they did. They were walking along one of the big avenues of Porto Alegre, and Daniel could see his brother coming towards him. And when his brother got close to him, he said, my face went red, and I was clenching my fist like this. I was ready to really lay into him. But he said, you know what? When my brother got closer to me, I saw my father's eyes. I saw my father's face. And I saw my dad. At that point, his brother actually saw him and turned to run, and Daniel ran after him and embraced him. He said, I love you. Because, you see, in his brother's face, he could see his father. And in his brother's eyes, he could see his father's eyes. And you can see the parallel. You have never met, you have never talked to a mere mortal. You've only ever talked to You've only met someone who's been made in the image of your God. Let's respond to the word of God this morning by praying individually.
as the Spirit of God has spoken to us, may be about something in our lives. It may not be language. It may be something else. But let us respond now. And we may say something like this. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege and responsibilities of speech. Please help me to make you and love for you attractive to others by the way that I interact with them, both by words and by acts of kindness. Let's just pray 20 seconds. And I will also pray. Lord, we would surrender to you our power of speech and we do pray that even today that you will help us to encourage others and not demoralize them. Please help us to be responsible followers of the one who never spoke ill of others and never blasphemed. We pray that we might live in a way that brings glory to you. It's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.